0: Savings, all your emotions, so he can be Christ. His name is the deceiver. The pastors don't think these things are going out of their interrogation. I believe that the devil does exist. Be a disciple and make disciples, and you don't do that by being a pastor spectator.
1: Confronting the devil with the overwhelming, almighty, omnipotent power of the Lord Jesus Christ. His power is absolute, he cannot be stopped. Welcome to Confronting the Devil, Fearless Dialogue. Here's your host, Kevin Collier.
2: And welcome to the program. On today's episode, I interview Brian Gadawa. But before we begin, my wife Kristen starts our program with a prayer.
1: This is from Luther's Prayers, edited by Herbert F. Brokering. A dying father commends his family to God. My dearest God, I thank you from the heart for your will that I should be poor while on earth. For this reason, I cannot leave to my wife and children a house or land or money or goods or property. As you have given my family to me, I give them again to you, my rich and faithful God. O Father of the orphans and judge of the widows, support and teach and keep them as you have kept me. Amen.
2: Kirsten, since Martin Luther and none of us likes being poor, what does the Bible say about how we can endure hardship?
1: Hebrews 12:5 through 7 And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children, for what children are not disciplined by their father?
2: Kristen, what did Martin Luther say about how deferred prayer relates to this?
1: This is from what Luther says, page 1092. The more you are loved by God, the more will the attainment of a promise which you have be hidden from you, delayed, and turned into its very opposite. For if God did not love you so intensely, he would not play with you in this way, That is, he would not defer his promise and help and turn them into the opposite. For these are the surest signs of a paternal heart and of an ardent love for you. An earthly father who loves his son acts in the same way. He plays with him, promises him a little present, but delays to give it and acts as if he would not keep his promise. He does this because he loves his son greatly and wants to be generous in giving if only the son will persevere and swallow and overcome the delay.
2: What happens when we persevere and swallow and overcome the delay?
1: Hebrews 12, 11-13a Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet.
2: Thank you, my wonderful wife. And later in the program, my wife Kristen and I will introduce a new mini-podcast we are putting on our station titled Headlines from Hell. The first episode of which will feature an interview with Peter Slayton, who is the social media manager for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Brian Godowa has been an author, screenwriter, and filmmaker for 15 years. His first feature film was To End All Wars. And his books include Hollywood Worldviews, Watching Films with Wisdom and Discernment. And he's a big fan of the horror film genre as well. Brian, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. How are you doing? Brian, your books deal with fighting evil at various times in history. What motivated you to focus on this topic? Well, quite frankly,
0: it's because I personally see a lot of evil in the world. I see evil having great influence and growing, and expanding, and when I read the Bible, what I see is a picture of God's Kingdom fighting evil, mm-hmm. and upholding righteousness. And this is where I get my inspiration, this is where I get my motivation, this is where I get my hope, mm-hmm. because outside of that Bible, I wouldn't have any hope, because mankind always seems to uh, degenerate. So all civilizations rise, and all of them fall. And I fear that we're in the falling of the Western civilization. So that's the thing that makes, strikes me up and makes me look back in the past. And when I look in the past, I see a lot of commonality, a lot of similarities. And so by telling these stories of the past that are from the Bible, but nonetheless that's from the past, and capturing those similarities in a way that we can learn from them, mm-hmm. and therefore fight the evil properly.
2: In the last year, I've seen demonic themes surface in many new TV programs, shows like Angel from Hell, Lucifer, Damien, and so forth. Many of these apocalyptic-themed programs have an agenda to portray the evil one as a sympathetic character. Can you address this?
0: Yeah, um, some of them do. Some of them don't. I mean, some of them do follow the somewhat traditional pattern or understanding of the, the spiritual realm where angels and demons, angels are the good guys for God and demons are the bad guys. and So there are some that do that. But you're right, there are some like Lucifer where Lucifer becomes sort of the, the, um, the protagonist, the one that we're cheering on, like the Dexter, you know. Dexter was the TV series about the serial killer who kills other serial killers. That's supposed to make you root for him, because even though he's evil, hey, he's doing some good, right? So in the Lucifer series, it's very similar. You know, he's a bad guy, but he's also um, suave and debonair and funny and witty. and They play to the youth culture of today. Youth is always exalted rebellion, and to them, bad guys are cool. Naughtiness is great because it breaks the rules of mom and dad type of thing. And so I think that Hollywood actually is riddled with quite a few infantile-oriented storytellers. Nihilism, which is sort of the worldview that believes there's no meaning and no truth, there's just the fight for power, the will to power. Nihilism also has its place in Hollywood in shows like Game of Thrones, right? While that originated from a book, nevertheless, they're willing to depict a universe where there is no good and evil. There's just varying shades of evil. This is not uncommon. But on the other hand, we can't neglect the fact that in traditional Hollywood, movies and television, there is still a lot of good traditional storytelling with good values. You know, it's just a matter of telling stories in the modern world in a way that relate to people. But I do think that is a problem as the culture changes, as the culture becomes more anti-Christian, there's the statement that we no longer live in a Christian nation, or we live in a post-Christian nation. Yeah, there's some truth to that, but one could also make the argument that we live in an anti-Christian nation now, actually. We see the deterioration, not just in America, but really all over the world, whether it's Islam or just multiculturalism. They're all united in one thing, anti-Christ. <laughs> They're anti-Christ and anti-Bible, and they want to destroy Christianity and the biblical God. There are different forms of that, whether it's feminism, egalitarianism, multiculturalism, all these isms, Marxism. Mm-hmm. Now you have millennial who are a new upcoming generation who have no longer been taught anything in school but race, class, and gender, right? They don't know anything about history, so they actually think socialism's cool. Yeah, yeah. socialism gives me free stuff. And so this is the mentality that breaks down the good and evil that is rooted in the Bible. So it makes, it seeds within people the desire for the anti-hero, the desire for, I need something different. And what's different? Make the villain the good guy, you know, that kind of thing. And I think that it's not monolithic, because there's plenty of voices out there that are telling stories that have good values. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, I think it's a battle. We're seeing an unprecedented transformation of Western society into a self-loathing, self-destruction. It's bizarre, you know, but uh, so that's the broader social problem that I think is is happening that makes evil seductive.
2: Concerning your book, Hollywood World Views, watching films with wisdom and discernment, it's used as a textbook in some schools. What is the direction of that book?
0: The purpose of that book for me was I'd been developing my own personal theory of story and theory of beauty. Uh, We call that aesthetics. But I've been working on that in my desire to understand, how does God relate to creativity? How does God relate to storytelling? This was many years ago, and in the course of that, I stumbled on my own personal understanding of story that's rooted very much in the traditional understanding of storytelling, but seeing how much it reflects the biblical truth. Just storytelling in and of itself, and particularly the Western paradigm. I wanted to share that with Christians and other religious folks because I felt that in the church in particular, we had the two extremes. We had many people who look at the media, look at entertainment. They see the genuinely bad things in it, whether it's sex and violence or what have you, or anti-Christianity. There's some of that. And then they throw the baby out with the bathwater. They don't expose themselves to any entertainment because it's all a waste of time or it's evil. And I call that the cultural anorexic, is the one that cuts himself off from all culture because of the bad that's in it. On the other side, you have the cultural glutton. That would be those who maybe they understand they have freedom in Christ, but they don't exercise discernment because they don't realize that you no know, storytelling, movies, and even storytelling in music, it affects you, it changes your worldview, and whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not. So I wanted to share how does storytelling actually pull us in and change our minds without us even realizing. Mm-hmm. Um, that was so powerful to me, and I saw that if you look through history, including the Bible itself, storytelling narratives is how cultures are captured. And this is true even in the Bible. The Bible's not a book of fanatic theology, is it? It's really a book of stories, imagination, and imagery, symbols, stuff like that. There's certainly some rigid, rational, and logical thinking in the Bible, but 80% of it is basically story, image, imagination, the creativity, right? And so God himself even uses the imagination as a dominant means to capture the heart and soul of people. And so those who have through history, who have captured the culture, who have controlled the culture, those are the ones who control the narrative. They control the culture. And so I wanted to educate people on how that works, how story literally changes us. So that's the big, long, blathering story about sort of my motive behind Hollywood Worldview. So I just shared what we screenwriters do. I shared the inside information. Here's how we're persuading you. Here's how we're affecting you, changing your mind. And here's how we embody our worldviews within our stories so that they do affect you in this way.
2: Brian, you have a perspective on the horror film genre, one quality of which, it exposes the consequences of sin. Now, besides the monster, usually the victims of the evil one are engaged in sinful practices as well. You know, a bunch of teens in a cabin in the middle of nowhere doing drugs and having sex. You said the horror genre is one that addresses Christianity as reality. Can you explain?
0: Yeah, exactly, especially in our current modern Western culture that is hyper-scientific. It's idolatrously rooted in scientific so much so that materialism, naturalism reigns, right? Mockery of the supernatural. There are no angels and devils. Those are Mm -hmm. obvious fantasies and this kind of thing. And so we live in a naturalistic world that tries to have natural explanations for everything. Therefore, it is horror is one of the few genres that can deal with the supernatural because that's, part of what it is, part of what it does. It addresses the reality of that supernatural in a world that rejects it. So for example, there's nothing that's monolithic. There are plenty of bad horror movies that are exploitative and just violence for entertainment's sake, et cetera. I realize there's a lot of that going on, but as a genre in and of itself, well, there are movies like Paranormal Activity, one of my favorite examples, because it's the most profitable movie of all time, right? Because how much it cost versus how much they made. And there you have a story about a couple who's uh, living together, they're not married, and they find there's a, a ghost in their house, and they find out ultimately it's a demon, and they think that they can fight it themselves. And they reject Christianity, actually. In the movie, they show them rejecting Christianity, and they show that they have no ability to overcome this demon because they don't understand it. And if you don't understand your enemy, you can't defeat them. And in today's materialistic or naturalistic world that mocks Christianity, that's the essence of horror. It's showing you that when you give up on the ultimate traditional Christian biblical worldview, you won't have, you won't understand evil and you won't be able to fight it properly. Yes, there are some horror movies that do go off from that. They divert from that. But by and large, yeah, the genre is very moral. In essence, like you said, the people who get bit, You know, in a softer horror, like for instance, Jurassic Park, right? That's a mainstream movie. It's not some kind of John Carpenter or Eli Ross horror film. It's very mainstream, but it's very much of a horror film because the basic premise of the story is if you just do whatever you can do scientifically without any moral restraint, it's going to come back and bite you. (laughs) Literally, Right. Yeah, and in many traditional horror films, that's exactly what happens, even the slashers. It's the kids who have sex, it's the kids who who are taking drugs, it's the kids who are engaged in illicit behavior, who are the ones who basically get killed, or the ones who, (laughs) uh, you know, get destroyed by the monster, by the evil. In essence, that is a traditional Christian moral worldview. So... The fact that horror is not for everyone, sometimes it can be very bloody, gory, or sick. I mean, I realize that, but even in the Bible, there's a lot of sick, gross, horrible things God is trying to gross us out to the effects of evil. He'll describe things, even in fictional terms, like Ezekiel 16 and Ezekiel 23, where he describes Israel's spiritual condition as like a couple of whores who are having sex with every god under every tree. I mean, it's just really excessive. But then, and then it says that and that they will come and tear them apart, cut them apart into pieces. And it's really horrible horror imagery that God uses. And my point is, is that's, I think, the ultimate purpose of horror is like a moral warning, at least when it's
2: done well. The primary message of most horror, or sci-fi films for that matter, is that if one doesn't believe and understand the supernatural, that you cannot defeat it.
0: Yes, if he thinks that if he does not understand his enemy, like I said, he cannot defeat it. So if he doesn't believe there are angels and demons, if he doesn't believe in the supernatural, well, then when he's faced with it, he'll have no capacity to fight it. And this is very common and very Christian. Recently, the movie Deliver Us From Evil, that was a story about a cop who's hunting a murderer, and the murderer is demon-possessed, and the cop has lost his faith, so it's not until he gains his faith back that he's able to understand the enemy and conquer him, right? The Conjuring was another demonic possession movie that came out. The The Last Exorcism... The Exorcism of Emily Rose, all these movies pretty much play the same line, that is, people who do not believe in the supernatural cannot overcome it because they don't understand the enemy. And this is that even very relevant in today's world? If you have a culture that's denying the existence of evil, denying terrorists are evil, one man's freedom fighter is another man's terrorist, and who are we to judge these other cultures? We're the ones who are causing them, you know, it's the West and all this stuff rather than understanding the nature of terrorism and and how real it is. Even to the point where our current administration is scrubbing all language and reference to terrorism out of their discourse, Mm -hmm. deliberately to ignore its reality. Well, when that happens, when you deny the reality of your enemy, you will be destroyed. It's just a matter of time. That's the power of horror, because horror shows us evil is real, and some people do deserve to die.
2: The Devil Loves Political Correctness and the Separation of Church and State. You directed a documentary film titled The Wall of Separation, addressing the issue of church and state. Brian, who built that wall?
0: (laughs) Well, that is definitely a discussion that can take a long time. There's a lot of disagreement, of course, over that issue. But I think any honest person who looks at the historical evidence and reads it, You'll find that what I did in that documentary, which, by the way, now called Faith of Our Fathers, and you can get it on Amazon, Faith of Our Fathers. But I think that essentially that law of separation goes back to Thomas Jefferson's famous letter to the Danbury Baptist. Unfortunately, what he meant back then is not at all what people mean by today. When people say separation of church and state, we have this long history of cultural transformation of language. Now when people say that, what they mean is, you can't apply your Christianity to the government. You just can't. God has to be kicked out of anything that the government is is, is is touches or is affected by. And of course, that's not at all what they meant back then, because back then, they understood establishment to be the federal government to not establish a particular denomination of Christianity to, to be the religion of the country. But every state had its own established religion. They believed in state established religion, actually, you know, Mm -hmm. which is completely alien to us. So we don't understand what they meant, because language just completely changed. And so what they meant back then was, of course, religion should affect government. Of course, Thomas Jefferson had the federal government print Bibles. So they did believe that religion should affect decision and religion should be a part of governing choices and the laws that are made in the country. Difference was they didn't want in England when you had an established state for the whole country, but the states could of course have their own established religion. The wall separation actually was intended, (laughs) was not at all what it means today, and so like I said, it's been twisted and changed.
2: Brian, are atheists just God-haters? To be that that emotionally invested in opposition to Christianity, it recognizes God as the entity of offense, correct?
0: I know some people believe that. Look, there's a wide diversity of of atheists. There are soft atheists, hard atheists. There are agnostics. And so the truth is, as a Christian, I definitely believe that the Bible clearly says in Romans 1 and 2 that all human beings know God in their inner souls, Mm -hmm. and they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So technically, I would agree with you. Yeah, unbelievers, non-Christians, They know the biblical God, and they deliberately suppress him, and their suppression comes out with the insanity and irrationality that we see in atheists' claim, their fairy tales of evolution and such. So they create their own religious fantasies to attack the Bible and to attack the God that inside of them they know they created because they don't want to be under his control. Basically, the bottom line is, according to the Bible, human nature is, mankind does not want to be under God. They want to be their own God. You end up having many, many different versions of this, but essentially, yes, people all know God and suppress that truth. They are technically all God-haters. Even if they don't even think about God, it's like, yeah, well, your Creator
2: It's just an agenda group like many. They all want to eradicate God from our nation.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's really the ultimate goal of all of this. It's all to attack the biblical God, whether it's gay rights, right? Gay rights don't care about marriage. Gays don't care about marriage at all. They don't even believe in marriage. They just want to destroy Christianity, right? Right. And that's what atheists just want to destroy Christianity and destroy Christians. And basically, Muslims want to get rid of Christians. Everyone wants to get rid of Christians because we represent true and living God and they don't want that. They want their own God. They want to
2: be their own God.
0: So yeah, that's that's what it's all about, what modern civilization
2: has become. Concerning your upcoming book, Chronicles of the Apocalypse, it addresses Christian persecution. A tagline on the project is, this isn't your father's left behind. What can you tell us about it?
0: Yeah, um, it's going to be somewhat of a surprise, so I'm not going to give a lot of it away, but what I wanted to do is I wanted to tell the story of the first Christian persecution in history, which started in the Book of Acts and ultimately became climactic under the Emperor Nero and ultimately led to the destruction of the Temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD. And this was the time period in which John was writing his book, the Book of Revelation. And so I wanted to tell the story of John writing that Book of Revelation, the neuronic persecutions, all at the infancy of the church, where Satan ultimately tried to destroy that church like a woman in the wilderness and he was he was stopped because God actually brought judgment upon the destruction of Jerusalem and ultimately judged Rome. But that's the story that I'm starting to tell in Chronicles of the Apocalypse. And it'll probably be out in about four or five months.
2: What are some of the things parents can do to seal off gateways to evil?
0: Well, you know, my personal calling is not as much with the family in that sense. Mine is more educational for adults. What I would just simply say is educate yourself. As parents, it's not just about keeping those gateways closed so that they can't get exposed. Of course, that's part of it. But how do you best do that? How do you do it in a way that you interact with your children, not just make yourself out to be a bad guy who's keeping them from fun. The way to do that is to educate yourself and understand the arts and entertainment better, to have a better appreciation for them. So when your children can come of the age where they can become exposed to some things, or they will be, whether you like it or not, then you can then challenge them and interact with them through your own educated understanding of storytelling, of art, or whatever, you know, how worldview, the worldview embodied within Mm. entertainment then you provide that education for your kid because they're not going to get anywhere else. Then they can seek for themselves because the goal is obviously to raise up adults, ultimately, who can think for themselves and protect themselves because we can't protect other people. In the end, you can't protect them. They're going to have to learn how to lean on God themselves, right? So by educating yourself about worldviews, about the arts and entertainment, and not just cut it all off, you have to interact with it. You have to critique it, know how to critique it, know how to examine it and pick it apart. And that's how best you can protect yourself and ultimately help your children protect themselves as they grow up to become
2: adults. Brian, it seems like some parents are more concerned with what their kids are exposed to in the natural than making a commitment to attend church. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, sure. And I mean, it's the old adage, the best way to spot a counterfeit is to, to really know the original, the truthful thing the best. Absolutely, absolutely. But, you know, I do think learning the Bible is more than just reading the Bible. It's understanding its context, understanding its original ancient context, which is very different from ours. And it's learning how to take that truth in the Bible and interact with the world rather than use it as a weapon to attack the world or as a wall to keep ourselves cut off from the world. Because that's not the essence of Christianity Is an evangelistic religion, right? Go into all the world. You can't do that if you're cutting yourself off from it. You've got to find a better way to interact with the world rather than just cut yourself off. It's a balance. But by and large, I do think that it's sad to say, but I see it in my own world around me. Modern Christians do not know the Bible. They don't read it. They're more affected by their culture around them than they are about the Bible. And that's
2: truly a sad thing. Brian, I really want to thank you for coming on the program. This has been very helpful. Great. And may God continue to bless all of your projects. All right. You have a good day. Thank you, Brian Godawa. Now an announcement. Kristen and I are proud to announce our new Christian Issues update, titled headlines from hell this will actually be a little mini podcast it will vary in length it will be considerably shorter than our main program confronting the devil but we will be tackling issues where Christianity is under assault in this nation the topics will be current ones that you see in the news and Kristen and I will be sharing commentary on this at the beginning we will also have a guest on each episode In the very first Headlines from Hell, which will be appearing on May 13th, it'll be on demand and streaming online. The topic is, are social media sites censoring, flagging, or blocking Christians or Christian commentary? Now, recently, I spoke with Peter Slayton, who is the social media manager for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, about this. I began my interview by asking Peter if he was aware of this.
3: Uh, We're seeing right now articles about how Facebook apparently has been censoring their trending topics so that more conservative topics, more specifically religiously conservative topics, won't show up as trending on Facebook, even if all of your friends are sharing it and you know that there are thousands and thousands of shares on this and, you know, that's a hot topic. Facebook will keep it off of their highly visible trending area because of their own social agenda, their own moral agenda that they're pushing, which tends towards the liberal, the LGBT side of things, anti-Christian in general, sometimes
2: specifically.
3: Uh, So that very platform itself is working against us and trying to squelch that message and not letting it get out there.
2: Mr. Slayton had a lot more to say than that and you'll be hearing it on our first episode of Headlines from Hell. So watch for it. It's out May 13th. So we're going to keep your eyes on the headlines and you keep your ears tuned in to Confronting the Devil. And Kristen, can you close our program today with a prayer?
1: This is from Luther's Prayers, For the Lord to Punish False Prophets. O Lord, you are a God of Vengeance. You alone reward and punish all wickedness. O break forth as the day, reveal yourself that everyone may see you. Tyrants and false prophets have come out into the open, have gained the upper hand, and exult in their victory. But you remain silent and hide yourself, as though you were buried and would come no more, for you do not resist and punish this wickedness. Therefore we beseech you again, arise, show your face and let it appear against the wicked. You are to punish. If it is possible for some who persecute the gospel to be converted, we heartily desire it and pray for it. We fear if it is out of the question, for we have so long and ardently admonished and pleaded with them. Still they rave against the truth. We commit them to your judgment, for it is righteous. Amen.
2: Thank you, Kristen. And I want to thank our listeners. Keep us in your prayers as you remain in ours. Also, thank you to our programming announcer, Steve Matheson, a dear man and a volunteer for Christ always. He's believed in us for many years, and we cannot thank you enough, Steve. And let's not forget my wonderful wife, Kristen, who is always beside me, both figuratively and literally. Coming up in our next episode, we trot to the outback and speak with Searchlight Ministry founder, Robert Noddy, located in Brisbane, Australia on the East Coast. Here's a, preview. The devil is a- church
0: because let's face it we are the only ones that can stop him he's already got the world he doesn't need the world our neighbor that is not saved well he's not going to go after him he's going to go after me he's going to go after you because we know him and we know what he does
2: robert noddy it's a fearless and powerful episode you won't want to miss that wraps it up for this program until next time remember do
1: not let fear paralyze your faith This has been Confronting the Devil with your host Kevin Collier. Visit online at confrontingthedevil.blogspot.com Thank you.